I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi fans, welcome back to another episode of Large Arm and Latte. I feel like This week has felt a little bit like the noughties, actually. It's been so long since I had brunch, it felt like I was having it for the very first time again. I, like, I basically forgotten how to say, um, I'll just have the zucchini fritters, please. But it was definitely 2020 when I had to pay $7 for a side of bacon instead of $7 for an economy size pack of bacon from Coles, like I've been doing for the last six months. But also, Big Brother is back on TV again. And, I mean, it's okay. It's like 80% hot people, 20% characters, and like 300% uncomfortable to watch most times. But I spoke about last week not wanting to watch reality shows that were too close to home. And for me, watching a group of people stuck in a house, not able to leave, trying to entertain themselves all day... Mm, it's a little too soon for mine. Today on the podcast, we're slowly transitioning back into our pre-ISO lives, but there are a few elements of ISO that we would definitely like to make permanent. Then I have a conspiracy theory of my own, and to combat it coming into fruition, I'm sharing the best in Australian television viewing And I don't know if you heard, but Booty's back. And to celebrate the return of AFL, I review a movie about NFL, Varsity Blues. I feel like I've been locked in my cage so long. It's like I haven't been able to socialize since like 1993. And while we're all scratching at the door like a dog about to go for a walk, there are definitely a few elements of ISO that tested quite well amongst us. And we would like to install those permanently. Personally, I would be quite happy to keep the 1.5 meter distancing rule. Like imagine going to bars and not having someone smushed up against you, breathing their hot air into your neck or going to a sparsely populated restaurant. It would feel like very VIP and bougie. But honestly, the main reason I'd really like to keep this rule is because I am not a toucher. Like when I saw my family and friends again for the first time, I thought I would get lucky and maybe they'd be a bit hesitant with the kiss hello. But no, they've had no problem swooping right in for my cheek. And my cheek is for my skincare, not for your lips. Like it is such high risk. Not that you'll catch corona, but that you'll get it wrong. Like when you greet someone, how do you know what the hugging kissing combo is? Like, are we just going for a kiss on the cheek with no touching and hugging? Are we going for a kiss and a hug or just a hug? And then you have the first two options, the kiss and the kiss and the hug with the double kiss. So if you have five options and I remember probability correctly, which is like a 20% chance, then there are actually 120 possible variations of greeting combinations. And that 
doesn't even include a handshake. So no wonder it's always so awkward. Like how many times have you gone in for a kiss and they've gone in for a hug and then you kind of fumble around trying to work out what the right thing to do is or you, worse, you accidentally kiss someone on the lips or you don't know them and they go for a hug and you go for a handshake. It is so awkward. Actually, handshakes in itself are its own brand of awkward. Like if you are a woman and you get a man shaking hands with you and, you know, they don't want to hurt you, so they give you this limp dick of a hand to shake – excuse me, if I'm going to shake hands with you, I'm going to shake hands with you. Don't you dare give me a flaccid talon to work with. It's so frustrating. Anyway, my least favorite form of touching of all of them is being comforted with a hug. Nothing makes me more uncomfortable. I literally go stiffer than a corpse. Wait, actually, no, there is one thing that makes me more uncomfortable. It's when I need to comfort someone with a hug. And I know, like, how selfish am I? They're in their time of need and I'm thinking how uncomfortable I am. So, you know, when you're talking to someone and they're bearing their soul and there's this very clear moment when they reach the peak of their story or, you know, they start to cry and you know it's time for a hug, but I don't want to touch them. So I just like pat them like a dog. It's, uh, I don't know. I just, I'm not going to hug you. But okay, I'm not that bad because while I'd like to continue just not touching fans, you just don't want to see people at all. I feel like at this point, we really need to take a moment to appreciate Fan Brittany. She is so brave because she has said what the masses were definitely thinking. She said, "Mm, maybe missing the weekly dinner with the in-laws isn't the worst thing of all. Like maybe we could stretch it out to a monthly event, but in between they could definitely give us food. Like I don't care how old you are. Every time I visit my parents, I bring an empty bag and fill it with food, like I did when I was a poor uni student, because I'm not sure if they've realized that they don't actually have children living at home anymore because their fridge and pantry is still stocked like there's 10 people living in the house. And yeah, sure, I I think that half of it is probably expired sauces and salad dressings, but all the same. And their freezer is full of prime cut meats. Like, is that what happens when you have the same butcher for 20 years? They just start giving you heaps of stuff for free or discounted? I don't know. Maybe I need to get a butcher. Like, I can't afford a Japanese Wagyu for a casual Wednesday dinner at home, but I am more than comfortable stealing it from my parents along with a nice bottle of red that they've had sitting in their cellar for the last 20 years. No, I have zero guilt because if anything, it's really compensating for the lack of food culture I had growing up. If you've listened to previous episodes, you know what I'm talking about. But fans, the people that you want to see the absolute least, and no surprises here, are your work colleagues. Because you can choose your friends, but your work colleagues, you cannot. And working from home has really eliminated a lot of unnecessary professional interactions, which our corporate fans, Mia and Jesse, could not be happier about. Like, how many times have you been sitting there, like, scrolling Facebook and really needed to break up the boredom so you go to make yourself a cup of tea? Only to see that that person from that department whose face you know is already in the kitchen and you're going to have to make idle chit-chat with them, which you just don't want to do because honestly, you just do not give a fuck what they did on their weekend. Or how many meetings have you sat in where you sit there and you like keep trying to go to get up so they can take the hint that the meeting is over and you just like, can I play the Oscars speech wind up music, please? Because there's someone in there that just 
loves the sound of their own voice. Like they've obviously been told by some D-grade career coach that they need to ask X amount of questions during every meeting. And they sit in the whole meeting just simmering over their questions so much so that they're not actually listening to what's going on in the meeting. And by the time they ask their questions, you're like, um, we literally just spent the last 10 minutes talking about that. How embarrassing for you. You've just wasted an hour of my time. Well, that's kind of got into recession a little bit during the Zoom age because it is so hard to put on a Lady Gaga level performance of chess beating while you're on a Zoom meeting because thanks to ScoMo and our shitty internet, chances are you'll cut out, it'll freeze, you'll have to repeat yourself and it doesn't look good for you. You don't look like Gaga at all. You look more like Ashley Simpson when she mimed on SNL. So those big dick swingers are really piped down. And I just realized that maybe not all of you know what a big dick swinger is and think I'm just being vulgar, which I am, but it's also a thing because the corporate world is approximately 927% middle-aged white male. And as you are probably aware, they find it really hard for their voices to be heard in society. So they have to yell extra loud in the boardroom. And that is called big dick swinging, which is ironic really because it's really small dick energy. Anyway, the point is that they have really quietened down during the ISO age, which also means, as Van Jesse said, that a lot of meetings that could have been emails are actually just emails now. That also means there is so much more time to watch Real Housewives of Beverly Hills from the beginning on Netflix. Or, you know, like you could just be more productive with your actual work if you're into that kind of thing. Another ISO trend we'd really like to keep, which is not about socially isolating ourselves even further. In fact, I think if we made this one permanent, it would bring us it would bring us closer together socially because it would reduce expectations of us and we'd be a lot more comfortable within ourselves. And that trend is the low-key presentation trend. We've successfully avoided really giving too much of a shit about our appearance because, well, honestly, there's, there's nothing we can do about it unless you're like a beautician or a hairdresser. Van Anthony has been absolutely frothing his transformation into George Costanza. He's been rocking the matching tracksuit, sorry, loungewear, and not shaving his head. Van Mark is also appreciating wearing trackies and, sorry, loungewear, and seeing people wearing their matching Bonds tracksuits at the supermarket, you know, like giving that, yeah, hey. That, that nod. And don't pretend you're not totally okay with not spending $400 on your hair every eight weeks, only to be immediately disappointed as soon as you wash it yourself and it looks exactly the same as it did before or you've already got regrowth, or spending $50 on your nails every three weeks or $100 on your lashes every month or $40 on your laser hair removal. It's a massive saving, which look, I'm sure we're probably not all saving, especially now that we can leave the house. I feel like we're probably just splashing cash around like we're Pablo Escobar. But I do think the benefit of this is because we have been forced into this low-key presentation trend that hopefully we're just a little bit more comfortable with ourselves and that reduces the expectations we put on our appearance every time we go out. And sure, I don't mean like never do it again because I definitely don't want to be walking around with like chip talons and 10 inches of regrowth. But I think if we are even 1% more comfortable with ourselves as a result of this very forced trend, then I think that is definitely worth taking back with us into the real world. So in summary, if we could please 
permanently instill the 1.5 meter social distancing rule. I think that one may be like people could be fined for if they break or like maybe even jail. I wouldn't be against that. Monthly family dinners with regular food injections in the interim, regular working from home and a lax dress code and social expectation around appearance for both males and females. I think that would be great. Fans, I have become one of them. I have my very own conspiracy theory. I think that our lizard overlord, ScoMo, would really like if we were like that little town from Footloose. No music, no dance, no theatre, no art, no books, no television, no local news, and definitely no high-speed internet. But there is lots of church. It explains so much, right? It explains why he murdered the Federal Arts Department last year. And it explains why this week he was more mute than corporate fans Jesse and Mia on another Skype call when the ABC announced another round of job cuts. Because does this sound familiar? Um, we're going to get you to do the same amount of work. Actually, we're going to increase your workload because we're going to reduce your budget so less people. Is that okay? Cool. Well, that's exactly what the coalition has been doing to the ABC since 2014. So to be fair, it's not just ScoMo. It's his mates Tone and Malcolm as well. But if you've ever actually experienced working like that, which I'm sure at least some of you have, you'll know that it's as unsustainable as, say, I don't know, coal. And quick side note, I'm going to get to the point of the segment soon. Just let me have this little rant. I feel like ABC staff must be fucking exhausted. They know that their workplace is like Britney in 2007, but they just keep doing a fucking excellent job despite this. Like, during the bushfires, I'm sure that so many people had to sacrifice Christmas and summer holidays with their family, but the result of that was that they literally saved lives by bringing regional towns news. And that's even more important now that corporations like News Corp have closed their doors in regional areas. But they also keep bringing us amazing podcasts like Conversations, Coronacast, Unravel, and delivering impartial news, which is so important. Like, see America for what happens when this doesn't occur. Okay, my rant is over, and now I can get back to the point of the segment, which is to talk about Australian content and how we can keep our arts culture alive despite ScoMo's best efforts. If you've done an arts degree, you know arts is really broad and also super hard to get a job with after you graduate. But so specifically, I want to talk about Australian television because honestly, the Logies is the most embarrassing night of the year, not just for the fashion. We are already reaching down the back of the couch for Australian content. And yeah, we we consume media so differently. Like it's not every Tuesday night we're watching The OC followed by Rove. We are binging, which means it doesn't take us more than like three days to get through a TV show and then we've forgotten about it by the next week. But I do feel like we're not producing anywhere near as much homegrown content as we used to. I like I remember a time when there was Heartbreak High, oh my god, Jurassic, what a dream boat. Water Rats, All Saints, Blue Healers, McLeod's Daughter, and what do we have now? Like Doctor Doctor. If ScoMo succeeds in his plan, we're basically going to be left with reality TV and sport. And yes, reality TV is definitely a key pillar of my brand. But if all I could watch all day was hot, rich, white people getting drunk, my brain would literally be more fried than if I had smoked like 10 blunts in a row. Okay, I know nothing about weed, but I think you get it. Optimistically, I'd say we're amidst somewhat of a cultural awakening at the moment. And since our historic problem 
problematic shows are being deleted, now I feel is the best time to be creating new representative content. But ScoMo's footloose plans will really ensure that that doesn't happen. So as a bit of a fuck you, a mild fuck you, but a fuck you all the same, here are some of my favorite Australian television shows on right now that you may have heard of because they're classics or you may not have heard of because they haven't had a lot of advertising around them. Stateless on ABC iView. It focuses on four different people from different backgrounds experiencing an Australian detention centre and the circumstances that differentiate each of them. It is super confronting, but it is as equally as brilliant and it stars some absolute thoroughbreds of Australian actors like Kate Blanchett, Jai Courtney, Yvonne Strahovski, aka Serena Joy from The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah, she's Australian. And of course, Asha Keddie because she's in absolutely everything. The Gloaming on Stan. If you like Nordic Noir, this is just the Australian version. It's a classic murder mystery with a side of supernatural. Plus, it's set in Tasmania, which I don't know, it's a place like maybe I wouldn't want to live, but it's very beautiful to look at. One Night Stan on Stan. It's basically just six Australian comedian stand-up specials. And I love it because I'm sick of watching the American stand-up specials, even if they're Australians like Ronnie Chang. Well, he's not technically Australian, but people like Ronnie Chang or Hannah Gadsby, they tailor it to the American audience. And I don't find it as funny because obviously I don't relate not being an American. So I really enjoy these ones, especially Celia Pacola. I don't know how to say her last name, but she's really fucking funny. Hard quiz. My least favorite part of game shows is when the host talks to the contestant because I don't give a shit what the contestant does for a living. I don't care about the contestant at all. I'm watching the show so I can play along. But Hard Quiz is the complete opposite because Tom Gleason actually makes the most of those one-liners in between the questions. Like Celia, he is also fucking funny. Okay, I have saved the best for last. (laughs) Don't at me neighbors. Okay, first of all, what else are you doing at 6.30 now that you don't have to come home from work? Secondly, neighbors is thriving. I am absolutely back on it five nights a week. It's honestly like I never left. Dee's back. Dee has a twin sister and the twin sister and the mum are in jail. And Dee's twin sister is hooking up with the prison guard in jail, who is none other than Johnny Ruffo. Tim, the OG bachelor, is also in it. And surprisingly, he actually might be the best actor in the show. It's actually wild. But also, Neighbours is somewhat of a social justice warrior of TV. It really leaves my former favourite home and away back in 1955. So after they had the first gay wedding on TV, they just kept going from there. To celebrate International Women's Day, they had an all-female episode. They have a trans character. Last week or the week before, they celebrated Pride Week. Last year, they talked about period. So it's still classic cooked neighbors storylines. Like I'm sure Carl's had about 20 affairs since I last tuned in, but there is a very real side of it now as well. So I, that's my top recommendation. So fans, I'm sorry. I feel like this segment was a little bit ranty. I did just have a little bit of frustration I needed to release, but this podcast is not about thinking. So feel free to slide into my DMs and tell me to like stay on track if that was a little bit too much. Essentially, I hope you took away from that that we needed to support Australian content so we can keep it going and we don't turn into a coal town that is not allowed to listen to music. The year was 1999. Baggy jeans were so cool. 
Butterfly clips were a real statement piece. And Paul Walker was the best damn quarterback in the whole state of Texas. He was going to lead West Cannon High to a perfect season in a district championship. Okay, that was awful. I'm going to stop with the Southern accent now. So Paul Walker was going to lead his high school football team to a perfect season in a district championship. But then in the blink of an eye, his entire football career ended when he did his knee in the middle of a game. Um, Am I reviewing Vast? City Blues or Friday Night Lights because exactly the same thing happens in Friday Night Lights. Okay, to confirm, this is Varsity Blues. This is the one with the whipped cream bikini, not the one that became a TV show. James Van Der Beek, who may as well be called James Van Der Peek in 1999, has been a permanent second string quarterback because Paul Walker is so good. There is no way he's ever not going to play the whole game. So James Van Der Beek doesn't even know the playbook. He spends his time instead reading novels because he's somewhat of an academic. The only reason his coach keeps him on the team is because his daddy played for him 25 years ago. Okay, that sounded like the sexual meaning of daddy in an Australian accent. So his daddy played for him. No, it sounds also sexual in that accent, but is it? it's a direct quote. So anyway, now James has to step up and lead the team to a district championship. The pressure is on because the whole town is relying on him because all the town cares about is Jesus and football. James is actually a solid QB and he starts to rack up some wins for West Cannon High. And he also starts to realize the perks of being a high school quarterback in small town Texas. He goes to buy some Coke, like the drink, but he gets beer instead. How lucky. He gets interviewed for local radio. The town sign has his picture on it. He's on the front page of the local paper. At this stage, he basically doesn't even go to school. He just sits on a throne at the local diner all day and then plays football. His girlfriend, Amy Smart, is not about the new James. So their relationship becomes a bit shaky. But waiting in the wings is Paul Walker's girlfriend, Ali Lada. James and Ali aren't even out of the hospital doors from visiting Paul Walker in hospital when she invites him over. He's like, I'm 18 and I ain't going to marry Amy Smart, so why not? So he goes over to the house and she's like, I'm going to make a sundae. You want one with whipped cream? And he's like, yeah, okay. Then she comes out without a sundae, but with whipped cream as a bikini iconic. Then they make out a little and then he respectfully pushes her away and puts a blanket around her, not because he's got a girlfriend, but out of his respect for his buddy Paul Walker. So Ali Lada does seem like a little bit of a slazer, I'm thinking, but then she explains why she's hooking up with the quarterbacks. It's because she needs a ride the fuck out of that town. Otherwise, she's going to end up being the manager of a Walmart, which I guess is quite a smart move because it's probably like definitely true. James decides they need some team bonding, so he organizes a team night out at the strippers. It is a wild, wild night. They even know one of the strippers, which I honestly thought that this part was from not another teen movie and not the actual movie, but no, it's in the actual movie. Their house teacher is a stripper. She is so surprised when she sees her students turn up at her place of work. But honestly, like these kids run around like they're 25 years old. Like the police don't care if they drink. Why would you be surprised if they walk into the strippers? It's a small town. Like, you know the risk, honey. Anyway, it's an absolute bender of a night and they walk out of the place at 7am on 
game day. For mine, they obviously don't care very much about football. So that night while they're playing, they've all got mad alcohol sweats and they play terribly. Obviously, they lose and they cost the coach his perfect season. In the locker room after the game, the coach loses his shit. James has sacrificed the honor of the football team and the town that supports him. Sorry. Obviously, the coach has absolutely every right to be mad, but it's kind of overshadowed by the fact that he's a bit of a dick. He blames Billy Bob for Paul Walker's injury. Billy Bob is the real large guy that gets all the concussions. Again, the concussion counter on the scoreboard is from Not Another Teen Movie and not this movie, but he does get all the concussions in this movie. So the reason that Paul Walker got injured is because Billy Bob passed out on the field during a play because of all his concussions. So he couldn't protect Paul Walker and he injured himself. He was playing because the coach made him play despite knowing that he wasn't right. What a dick. So he makes Billy Bob cry and he fat shames him. Like there is so much fat shaming in this movie, which just because it's a boy, I don't think it's okay. So after the game, Billy Bob takes out his pistol in the middle of the field and shoots all his football trophies. Coach also threatens James Van Der Beek. He says that he's going to fuck with his transcripts, which will mean his scholarship to Brown gets revoked if he doesn't start playing by the coach's rules. Now, the reason that he doesn't play by the coach's rules, James Van Der Beek, is because, yeah, like I said, the coach is a dick and his rules include things like not throwing to the black running back. So James Van Der Beek is stressed. There's one more game left in the season and this will determine whether they win the district championship or not. He's like, well, I obviously want to lead the team to victory, but I want to play the right way. I want to play the ethical way, but I also don't want to lose my scholarship to Brown. So he goes and speaks to his OG girlfriend, Amy Smart, to discuss his predicament. And she's like, would you like some cheese with that one? And honestly, what a line. So it's the last game of the season and James does not play by the coach's rules. Brown, who is the black running back, dominates in the end zone. Touchdown! But then Brown tears his hammy and the opposition takes the lead with a minute and a half left until halftime, which if you've actually ever watched NFL is more like 15 minutes. It's halftime in the locker rooms and the coach does not care about his torn hammy. He just wants to give Brown a quarter zone shot so he can't feel the pain and he'll just keep playing through it. But after seeing what happened to Paul Walker, James sees this happening and he's like, no, if you give him that injection, we're all walking out. The only way we're going back onto that field is without you, coach. What a pack mentality. And they all follow suit. The coach is like, trust me, follow me. But nobody follows him back out onto the field. Then the team is left on their own in the locker room. Are they going to go back out and play? Yes. James gives them all a pep talk, which is something like, Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. No, it's definitely not that. That's from Friday Night Lights. But he says, let's be heroes. And I feel like the first one is way better, so I'm going to pretend he said that. They're super amped. The second half kicks off, and there is a montage supported by an offspring banger. Paul Walker takes the role of coach, and my God, he is just beautiful. Then there's seven seconds left and the visitors are up by three. James makes a 30-yard pass to Tweeter. Tweeter loses the ball, but Billy Bob gets it. The opposition try to run him down, but he's heading for the touchdown line. He is such a beast. The opposition are literally hanging off him as he runs towards the touchdown line, but he is unstoppable. Touchdown by Billy Bob. 
they win. They win the district championship and then that's it. There's no regionals. There's no state. That's it. That's They literally just fucking won into school sports. That's not an achievement. I've done that. In fact, I've gone further than that. I'm better than this high school football team. Imagine if they made a movie about your term two winter volleyball team winning into school sports round robin. Oh my God, there is really nothing else happening in small town Texas. I, I, what? But suddenly I'm just so sad when I see the end of this because that's it. The peak of their life is over. I'm sad like I was when Riggins and Matt, superstars at Dillon High School in Friday Night Lights, graduated and they didn't go to college. They just stayed in Dillon. It's actually super sad. Anyway, this movie is no Friday Night Lights. That TV show slash movie is elite, but I guess it's a pretty good poor man's version. I give it like six out of ten. And now it is time for your life changer. Pineapples, bananas, watermelons, and pumpkins are all types of berries. Thanks for listening to La Jarman Latte. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. A nice review would also tickle our hearts. Make sure you join the low involvement discussion by following us on Insta at La Jarman Latte Media and joining the Facebook group at La Jarman Latte. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.